Let's, uh, let's ask God's blessing on our time this afternoon. Our God and our Father, we're so thankful to have an opportunity once again to hear about the great things that you are doing through those who have submitted and are willing to, to serve. And so we do ask that um, you will help us in our discussion together. And then in the closing messages, uh, that they may speak to our hearts in a very fresh and powerful way. We ask this for the glory of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Got a couple of questions here, and um, one of the questions that came was, is there a pushback from the drug cartel in Peru? Um, yeah, I guess... Uh... Maybe we would see that a little bit where we're out in the jungle. Where we live in the jungle of Peru used to be the highest producing cocaine area in the world, from what I understand. And uh, that was really cut off um, in the 90s and, uh, as the DAD, Drug Enforcement Administration, came in and, uh, and really got rid of a lot of the, the coca production. Um, the area where we live uh, really produces coca, and that's what you use to make cocaine. Uh, it really produces it well. And so, like I said, that was kind of shut down. Crop dusters came in, poisoned all the crops. Almost all of the believers that we work with now used to plant coca. And, uh, and even uh, many of them know how to make cocaine uh, the process. I've asked several of them how to do that, and uh, it's an interesting process. I, I don't have it written down, though. So. But anyway, uh, the, the government really cracked down on that and kind of shut it down for about 15 years. And so, but now things are starting to actually pick up again, and there are some villages that um, I will hike between and that I've come across some, some coca plantations that are starting up. There's a lot more money in, in cocaine than in chocolate, and chocolate's the alternative. Uh, cacao uh, is the alternative crop that the uh, government uh, gave to replace the, the coca, but um, like I said, uh, it's a lot better money in the cocaine business, so things are starting to... I haven't run into any... Uh, brothers have told me, be careful when you go down this trail uh, to these villages, you might run into... Um, people secretly growing their coca. But anyway, so far, uh, no one's shot at me. All right. Um, we have got lots of questions. So um, Tom, how do we discern between our personal desire or whether it is truly God's will to go somewhere and serve him? The textbook response would be there are three points of reference like GPS satellites that we can use. One is scripture. Uh, the other is counsel from godly believers. And the third would be the spirit speaking to our heart. Uh, and a triangulation of those three is always a good concept to use. Uh, if you have a desire and it is confirmed by your prayerful study of the scripture, God speaking to you through through it, and then other godly believers influencing you and saying, you know, we we pray with you on this, and we think that this is true. God is uh, God is leading in this area. Then that's a standard good response. Um, <clears throat> for either of you, tell us about how short-term mission trips uh, helped you in your 
finding the Lord's direction for your life? Oh, in, uh, in Amy and I, our uh, experience, it was, we, we were in Eastgate Bible Chapel in Portland, Oregon. Um, Bert and Colleen Elliott, missionaries for, in Peru for 64 years, they would come and visit every furlough every three or four years or so and preach in our assembly, and they're a great encouragement. And, uh, um, and so we knew about them and a little bit of the work there, and then also some other missionaries, the Halleks, uh, they're no longer missionaries, but uh, they were for a lot of years in Puerto Maldonado. We would hear reports from them. Our assembly supported them. And so one year, uh, 95 or 94 or something, uh, uh, a team was formed uh, from our assembly. I think we were 13 people. We went to Peru to go and visit those missionaries. We spent, uh, I think, 10 days with the Elliots on the coast and 10 days with the Halleks in the in the jungle. And um, really, uh, that was, uh, I remember that experience. It, it was great to see another country. It was great to see what missionaries did. And um, everyone on that team just vowed they were going back to Peru to be missionaries. And Amy and I were the only ones. I remember sitting on the plane next to Amy on the way back and telling her that was a neat, neat trip and to see what missionaries do and see a different country. But I would hate to live in a country like that. <laughs> and, uh, but God, in the process of, of time, the next couple of years after that, really transformed my heart. And really, uh, as we started thinking towards missions, I still didn't really think Peru. But afterwards, um, because of that trip, that short-term trip to Peru, um, we wouldn't have even considered it. But then we began to think, well, why not Peru? We've been there before. And uh, so because of that short-term trip, we are, humanly speaking, we're in Peru because of that, that trip. So I highly recommend and promote short-term trips. I think they're very beneficial. Tom, what do you think? I agree from the other perspective. I never had the opportunity, really, of a short-term missions trip, so to speak, when my wife and I we're looking for a place to serve the Lord. In our first year of our marriage, we visited Guatemala and found out that we weren't going to be going there because the, the government wouldn't allow it. So that kind of opened our hearts to considering the invitation when we received it. We received an invitation from uh, Eric McKinley, and, and uh, we realized that that was you know the Lord moving us in that direction. So the the means that the Lord uses in directing people aren't always the same. That's kind of the problem with setting up a model of, you know, this is what it's going to look like, this is what it's going to feel like. It, it, it will be particularly different for just about everybody. So we kind of want to steer away from setting you up with this little schematic of how it's going to happen. Um, if your heart is open to the Lord, uh, he will find a way to get it through to you, whether it be a whisper in your ear or a two-by-four over the head. Something works, right? <laughs> Something won't see who will get through to you if you're, if you're willing to listen. Uh, I'd like both of you to comment on this question. Um, the, questionnaire, the question says, sometimes it feels like for every one person who says yes to the gospel, uh, there are about a thousand others who say no. Even though it's exciting when one says yes, it gets so discouraging and weary when people so blatantly reject Christ over and over again. Any words of encouragement for a discouraged Christian on this? Um, I'm actually not a very encouraging person, so uh, <laughs> I just I can add to the discouragement, though. Um, no, uh, that is that is a that is a great great question because that, that's something that I struggle with a lot. Because uh, I will sometimes actually share the gospel with maybe a thousand people in a week. I mean, open air preaching, you'll have two hundred and three hundred and. 
100 when you go from village to village and then <coughs> door to door and sharing the gospel with a lot of people. And I, the response that I actually get is maybe different than what you might see in Southern California. A lot of people will listen. And there has been times when I have preached open air and there have been hundreds of people around listening and, and I will preach until my voice is gone. And people, sometimes it seems the Holy Spirit really moves. And I've sat down afterwards, and there's just silence for 20 minutes as people are really soul-searching and contemplating the wrath of God and judgment to come, but then free grace in Christ and Christ alone. And, uh, and then to have people come up and tell me, and I've had this so many times, people come up and tell me, I want what you're talking about, the chains. I want the chains to fall off, but I, I just, I can't do it. I recognize the Bible is God's word. Jesus is God. He died on the cross for my sins, rose again. The chains can fall off if I trust in him, but I just, I want it, but I can't. I, I love my drunken lifestyle more. And I mean, that just, it breaks my heart. And I just sometimes cry out to God of just could you just show me some results I want to see just a few people saved so many people hearing the gospel and to see them reject it and in the end I mean we just need to um, um, find our confidence and uh, enjoy in the Lord and my main thing actually is not to see converts um, even though I'm all about evangelism my main thing is to make Christ's name great among the nations and wherever I have the opportunity to preach and so um, I want to be faithful in doing that. And if the Lord brings some to be saved, praise the Lord. If not, praise the Lord. It's our job just to uh, preach the message. Holy Spirit is the one that will save them. I would point you towards um, the great evangelizer himself, Jesus Christ, who a week before his crucifixion sat on the hill outside Jerusalem and wept. And he was weeping about the rejection. He was weeping because he knew the numbers. Uh, three out of a thousand, that's pretty good. Mm. Uh, as f if we compare with his numbers, he fed 5,000, fed 4,000 more. He raised several from the dead, countless healed, um, tens of thousands preached to. And yet, when the Holy Spirit came, there was 120 gathered unto mm. his name. So your numbers aren't off. Don't be daunted. The Son of God himself didn't get better numbers than that. So, you know, what do you expect? Um, You've got to understand Christ came not only to die for us, he came to die for God as well. Uh, in Romans 3, it tells us that God placed, um, in verse 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Christ died to justify God for having overlooked sins for so long. And, like, and basically his point was God will be glorified. He will be justified. He will be declared truthful. Mm. Let every other man be a liar. And there is a sense in which the preaching of the gospel is a testimony to God's righteousness and his faithfulness and let everyone else be damned and go to hell. That's the outcome. Narrow is the gate. Few are they who enter it. Don't be surprised. It broke Christ's heart. It should break our heart. But, you know, that's the way it's going to be. Unfortunately, we can't control that. So we'll just keep on going. In a, in a more encouraging note, you uh, <laughs> spoke about the fact that the church in 
in, uh, Peru, in Peru is now becoming a sending church. Now, tell us a little bit about how they're sending. Are they sending to other villages, or are they sending outside of Peru? This is what the... Yeah. Uh, yeah. In my context, where we're at, uh, I, I'm really hoping to see the Peruvian church, um, um, out of the Peruvian church, there being men and women raised up to go out into the field and uh, even outside the borders of, of Peru. Um, haven't seen that in, in our context where we're at, I think on the coast, and I know on the coast, in, in Trujillo, I know of a few, Chechi, who is going to the Muslim world. Um, and, and I would love to see, see Peruvians being discipled and prepared for the mission field to go to the Muslim world. I think they might be more effective than your white American um, going. But uh, in, in our context where we're at, um, we're just trying to raise up evangelists and preachers to go into the villages around. And there is a real desire that I see in a lot of those men to do that. And, and that's something that's really exciting. Tom? i probably leave it over to Tom. Yes, I believe it has to do with the maturity of uh, the assembly. Uh, I doubt it will be achieved in the first generation, but in Peru we are at that point where there are some second and third generation assemblies. It means uh, the core group uh, has known the Lord uh, since childhood, and they have reached a level of maturity where they can financially sustain. They have the conviction about the need. Uh, the first generation believers normally, you know, it's all about that salvation experience, being redeemed from sin being taken out of, you know, that lifestyle or whatever. And so they're basking uh, in that um, those who are born into the assembly accept Christ as Savior generally tend to have a, a, a more mature outlook and can focus on outside the walls. And so there are a few. There are a few assemblies in Peru that are at that level and have made a commitment to commend uh, foreign missionaries. They, 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 they are far into Peru. In other words, they are leaving Peru to other countries, and, uh, and there are several examples of that. And so to the same extent, we, we still preach that same truth. We um, are all to surrender to Christ, and there will probably be um, uh, maybe a smaller population of those ready to do so in Peru because they're, they're brand-new Christians still in, in, many, in many areas. But there are those who, who are maturing to that point of, of realizing, yes, um, I need to <clears throat> put my gifts uh, into his hands and let him use me. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> another question for both of you. How would you describe your relationships and ability <clears throat> to work with other evangelical missions and believers in your ministry? Repeat the question. Uh, it, it's a question that has to do with uh, missionaries that may have been sent from other organizations um, you know, whether it's new tribes or frontier, how do you get along with them and how do you work with them? Yeah, um, yeah, I just, <laughs> we shoot them. No, um, no, 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 that, that was very bad, very bad. I actually, I have a lot of opportunities just because of the, the kind of ministry that we're involved in and the things that I do. Uh, I guess it's more visual um, and so, um, I'm, I'm actually invited to, I, I preached uh, a week of meetings, evangelistic meetings with uh, Alianza Misionera, Missionary Alliance Church in Trujillo, and they had like a thousand people every night and coming <clears> in, and, um, and there was a missionary there that invited me that, uh, and so um, I try to, I, I want to really emphasize unity in the Church of Christ nation, or, I mean worldwide. And uh, 
the Brethren movement isn't the only evangelical, true uh, um, church, the, the only ones that are really saved. Um, I do have d definite convictions, uh, the way that we, we do church and ecclesiology. And, uh, and so as far as uh, like church planting with somebody, a missionary from a different uh, point of view, ecclesiological view, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, be doing church planting with uh, somebody with major differing views in the way that we're going to do church. I mean, that's a, a whole different area. But as far as uh, trying to encourage believers in other churches and, uh, um, and even having visitor speakers come, and, uh, um, but anyway, yeah, I, I really, I think that we need to work uh, as closely as possible with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And I've been blamed, uh, as uh, people have said, well, you, you're a Pentecostal, uh, because I get excited sometimes. And, uh, <laughs> or you're a Pentecostal because you preached at the <clears throat> Pentecostal church. And really, I don't care who invites me to preach, I'll preach in the Mormon church. Um, I'm going to preach God's word wherever that's possible. And, uh. I'm not going to let the Mormon preach in our church, but, uh, and that's not even in the evangelical circle. But anyway, Tom, unity. We got together for Fourth of July, uh, Thanksgiving, uh, sometimes an occasional other holiday. Uh, it's great opportunity to fellowship together as servants of the Lord. Um, we have a dear, uh, dear friends there. A couple. Um, he's Baptist, and they are with the ABWME Baptist Mission. She was born and raised in uh, assembly here in the LA area, and uh, and they've been serving the Lord for 20 some years in Peru. I said that's okay. We even things up. I was born and raised in the assemblies and uh, got a Baptist girl to marry me, so it all works out. Uh, so the the deal is that I think the practical way to answer that is, for the most part, most of the missionaries in uh, Peru, as in many developing countries, we are so focused on evangelism, and for the most part, the message is the gospel, and there's a real common ground to that. Uh, we really don't have the time to sit down and bicker about dispensationalism or um, you know minute details of post-mid, pre-tribulation, whatever. Uh, we're, we're so involved in getting gospel out that we don't really have time to notice the small differences. We serve one God, we preach one gospel, which is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And, you know, there's even Catholic priests I know in, in our town that preach that. And so um, it's, it's, it's not difficult to find oneness in Christ and we don't need to get into, you know, a whole lot of the nitty-gritty uh, things that might start pushing us apart. And uh, I believe we could probably do, uh, do well with swinging back that way uh, here in the U.S. If we gave up nitpicking and judging just a little bit, we could find more unity in the body, and that would be a good thing if we could be more unified in Christ to serve him. There's a whole set of questions that, uh, from a number that are clearly interested in short-term trips to Peru. So I'm gonna ask a couple of things. One is invite you to stay later after this, at the end, for anybody who would talk 
that would like to talk with you. But just a, one more question, uh, Micah, and then a question for you, Tom. Um, what would a 16-year-old girl who is interested in coming to work with you, where would they stay? Yeah, it, it really depends on what her desires and goals were to do. If she would like to stay with a, a national Peruvian family that is part of our assembly in our city, uh, that would really help for Spanish learning, just be immersed in it that way and learn the culture. Um, so if she would want to do something like that, of course, uh, we'd want to feel a bit responsible for her and try to take care of her. And so we'd put her in a in a house of trustworthy people. But uh, we've had several um, um, young ladies stay with us, and uh, and they've just helped Amy uh, tremendously, uh, helping with our kids in the homeschooling area. And um, also, they definitely would not be doing river trips with me alone. Um, but And sometimes there are, uh, I, I always say, women can come along on the trip with me if there's uh, another, there needs to be two women, so uh, uh, we want to avoid appearances and or wrong appearances and things like that. So, but it would depend on on the girl and the situation. But mostly, the ones that have come to visit us have uh, have <coughs> basically helped in homeschooling our kids uh, with Amy. Tom, what about with your work? Um, pretty similar. We have a facility established a campus housing, um, basically there are very simple tasks to carry out at Morningstar Children's Home. Uh, there are classes to help out in in Strong Tower Christian School, uh, being as a teacher's aide, helping to teach English, um, uh, helping with the children in the children's home. Uh, it, a lot depends on what uh, particular set of abilities and uh, skill set you bring to the table and the greatest of which is and I'd say 95% uh, what needs to come to the table is a servant's heart if you're willing to serve you know uh, there's just so many different ways it can happen but if you come in with a mindset of well you know I want to help children color using only colored pencils and by hanging upside down by the rafters. Well, uh, the more specific you are about what you want, usually the, the more problematic it is to listen to the Lord and what he wants. So we find ourselves caught in the middle sometimes, and we just encourage you to, to, to not um, prepackage it. Don't, don't set it up as, as uh, something that you need to see happen. Just come and be willing to serve, and uh, it, you'll find that there are tremendous opportunities the Lord will place in your way when you come. So uh, there's all kinds of stuff, and, and if, if you think you have a real desire towards one particular, we can usually craft that type of thing. You know, we can usually design an experience just for you. I mean, it's not that difficult to do, but um, just come willing uh, to serve with an open heart and uh, you'll be swamped. <clears throat> and go to the CMMI website and look on their short-term opportunities. Yes. You'll get a whole bunch of ideas there. <clears throat> Someone asked how to get in touch with uh, either Micah or Tom. Uh, the information is in the uh, prayer handbook. It's out on our website. Uh, or even you just call our office. We'll, we'll show, tell you how to get in touch with them. Um, we our, have our prayer cards on the back table in the back. Good. 
prayer cards. So you can put us in your refrigerator. Oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, we, we've run out of time for this. Um, I want to thank you very, very much for it. Uh, the questions, there's one more question, but I got to ask you to give me like two second answers. Um, what influence, if any, did the death of five men in Ecuador at the hands of a savage tribe have on the Peruvian believers of that time? Or did they even know about it or forget about it? It had zero impact, they didn't know about it. They were impacted when Jim's brother Bert showed up on the scene. There are about 50 assemblies in existence today. Um, there, there were several missionaries that ended up um, you know, being motivated <clears throat> by that incident. Not the Peruvians' direct knowledge of it, but That's what I meant. the filter down thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but the filter down thing uh, came, yeah, the Lord used that event in a ricochet sense to, to make it happen. Thank you very much.